welcome folks welcome to another solukabus podcast and today we are talking about england cricket in the middle of a pandemic i was very confused uh, uh, because every time i do a cricket podcast i wear um, rcb hat and a indian t-shirt but because we are today we are uh, talking about england the closest shirt i had was this so uh, that's the best i could <laughs> do for this podcast and uh, the guest today is uh, is an english cricket journalist sam morsed i'll let him introduce himself but uh, i've been following his work on, uh, on on twitter and i love his articles can you please tell a little bit about yourself sam so that people know that you're just not just random cricket fan but you're actually a journalist who follows the game very closely yeah sure uh, thanks for having me on najib um, i'm the digital editor of the cricketer.com um, the cricketer is the uh, oldest cricket magazine in the world we're celebrating a 100th birthday next year um, published in many countries all around the world and, and the website is uh, one of the fastest growing digital cricket channels uh, certainly in the uk and uh, hopefully a bit further afield as well um, so yeah i cover the England team, uh, I cover the county scene, um, and then I lead a team of guys who try and do our best to, to cover as much of cricket as, as we can do. Um, right. So it's been, a, it's been a funny old few months, but um, an yes. enjoyable time nonetheless. But that, that is exactly what I was getting to, uh, because when, uh, when the lockdown was about to happen, right, somewhere in the March and April, uh, what were your initial thoughts like? I mean, because you had a massive summer coming up in England cricket, right? So can you please tell like what was at stake, right? So what was at stake and what really drove the England cricket board to, you know, organize this massive uh, series with such a massive effort, you know, having this bubble with, uh, you know, and, you know, conducting series, calling uh, cricketers from different countries, worst affected countries in some cases. So what was at stake and what were you thinking in, in April, March? Yeah, well, the first thing from the ECB's point of view was that they were trying to mitigate against financial catastrophe. So they've got a huge rights deal with um, Sky TV over here, which is worth 1.1 billion over the course of four years. If they had wiped out this summer, they were potentially looking at uh, losses of around 380 million pounds, which would be well, the end of quite a lot of the structure as we know it in, in England. So the, the main priority for them as a governing body was to get international cricket on so they could fill their TV contractual obligations. Mm -hmm. And that's where the creation of this bio secure arena or arenas came from and the bubbles that were created around them. Uh, a most amazing thing considering that, you know, before March, no one at the ECB had specific knowledge of how to create this. Then none of them are epidemiologists. Um, they have obviously a, a senior science advisor, senior medical advisor, Professor Nick Pierce, but no one is an infectious disease expert. No one knows how to put on these these big biosecure events. So they had to learn from scratch how to do it, led by Steve Elworthy, the guy who who uh, delivered the 2019 World Cup and many ICC tournaments before. Um, and they created these venues at Old Trafford and the Aegeus Bowl, which were completely standalone, uh, secure bubbles um, right. to get into them. I went in. I went into the Southampton one a couple of times for some Ireland uh, ODIs. Um, you know, you have to just for journalists. You have to have a, a swab test in advance. You have to uh, read a seventy-page document about what you can and can't do. You, you have to fill in um, uh, questionnaires uh, daily about whether you've got symptoms, etc. And you have to download a health passport app. And when you get to the stadium, you have to go through a temperature check and then you have to go through a second temperature check and then you're limited to a certain place in the ground. And, and all of that sort of thing had to be thought up and the, the logistics to do that in a short space yeah. of time yes. was quite remarkable. To think like that we, we started being impacted in March, middle of March here. We locked down on the 23rd of March, I think, as a country. 
Mm. Um, and, and the first game of the season was meant to be in, in the second week of June. Mm. It ended up being in the first week of July, but they managed to put together this in three months, which was, which was quite extraordinary. Um, and as such, they managed to put on the entire men's international summer and they created a women's series against West Indies. Yes. Obviously, none of it would have been possible without um, the incredible uh, team spirit, community spirit of uh, Cricket West Indies, uh, Pakistan Cricket Board, uh, Cricket Australia, Cricket Ireland, uh, all sending their players and the players coming over, particularly from the West Indies, because the Caribbean has not really been affected by COVID. Yes. So they were flying into, a, into an area which was at the peak of its pandemic to play cricket behind closed doors away from their families isolated for for four weeks well six weeks including their training camp so that was quite phenomenal but yeah it was it was meant to be a massive summer following on from the world cup win the hundred was meant to launch as well in july um and in the end we had we had an international summer which was which was weird to say the least and we had some semblance of a domestic season but the the game has still lost a hundred million pounds um and the ecb are having to shed 62 jobs as a result and as far as we're aware the counties between them have lost around about 75 million pounds um for various reasons for different uh, revenue streams being cut off so the game has been seriously impacted and then right the way down to grassroots levels where we're seeing so many clubs just village clubs mm. struggling players not being able to play or money not coming in because they can't host any any bar events any weddings they can't hire out their venues so it's been a very, very difficult summer, um, but we still managed to see quite a lot of cricket, yes. which is a really, it's a really strange sort of balance between the good and the bad of, of what's happened here since March. Uh, did you did you have any remote sense of hope that the game is going to happen in the month of March? Uh, because you must have panicked, right? I mean, cricket <laughs> is not just a game, right? It's an economy, right? It's an economy of journalists, pubs, bars, events, stadiums, clubs, right? So uh, wait, what, was you, what, what, were you, what was going on in your mind as a journalist in the month of March, April? Well, so my position at the, at the cricket is also involves an, an element of executive um, mm. level so organization within the company. So it was as much about future-proofing the cricketer um, mm. as it was about the game as a whole. But obviously, the way in which the game works had a direct influence on, on what we produce as a magazine and a website. Um, so March and April were basically spent trying to, well, certainly March and early April, coming up with a, a plan of how to create content around cricket when there is no cricket. You know, it's it's strange to have been a publication about a specific event, a specific activity that just didn't happen for three months anywhere in the world, um, with the exception of Vanuatu. I think they had a they had a yeah. T10 or a T20 tournament out yes. over there, but apart from there, there was no no cricket anywhere for three months. So having to having to come up with ideas that would create some content that people would want to consume, that people would engage with, that people would want to buy when it comes to the magazine was, was certainly interesting. And I, th- you know, I think we've done pretty well. We've, co- we've come through it, um, obviously, not in as rude a health as we were before we started, but we haven't been ha- had to lose any jobs. We haven't put ourselves in financial dif- difficulty as a result. Um, but it, it certainly tested our originality. You know, mm. we, um, we launched a... We launched a uh, PS4 competition involving mm. county players in uh, in April, which we called the Quarantine Cup, and uh, streamed them on YouTube with um, with real commentary from from real commentators, which also allowed us to to put money back into the freelance cricket journalist mm. community who've been struggling so much during this time as well. 
um, we celebrated um, uh, the, the greatest books that cricket, ha that cricket has produced uh, in the magazine. Um, we celebrated the efforts of, of the cricket community with our Lockdown Heroes Awards, of picking out stories of, of people doing good in the community over the course of, of lockdown. Uh, and we used the time to try and take action on on some sort of social commentary issues like Black Lives Matter in, in which yeah. we, teamed, we teamed up with The Voice newspaper, which is the leading black newspaper over here to cover the West Indies series. And we teamed up with the Caribbean Cricket Podcast um, to cover the CPL, just trying to give opportunities to more voices across more platforms um, and taking taking the chance to to do things differently when we've been given a completely new landscape to deal with. So um, it threw up its challenges, but I think that we reacted to them pretty well. And, um, and you know, four, five, six months on whatever it is now, um, mm. feels like an absolute lifetime. Um, right. We're, we're starting to come through it, I think. Uh, now we're just looking at a winter where there's no fixtures yet again. Yes. So we're back to, where, back to where we were in May. No fixtures, nothing in the calendar. What are I, you planning? I, I was hoping your team would come down to India and, and all that in the winter, right? So, because uh, I, I, I'm a big fan of Eng white ball England cricket team. Big fan. Uh, I was there in the 2019 World Cup at Birmingham. India was England. Yeah. yeah right. Yeah. I was at that game as well. Yeah. Um, what a strange summer, right? Last summer, this summer. And did you happen to uh, like uh, get into the bubble? What was that like in, in all the cr cricket journalism career that you had? Last, uh, that, that bubble, bio bubble time must have been the most strangest time, right? I mean, I was reading some news, right? So you had this pathways that you have to follow to go and eat breakfast. You have to stand, if you're standing behind in an elevator, you have to face the mirror, not the door. All these rules, right? It must, it, how, how was that like? To be fair, the journalists um, the journalists don't stay in the hotels like the players do, so they come okay. and go into different. Uh, sorry, sorry to interrupt, but let me just make it clear, right? So you had uh, matches at AGS Bowl and Manchester's mm. Old Trafford, and mm -hmm. because the hotel was attached to the stadium, so yeah. so there is no commute, and you know players had direct access, and it's the same yeah. case in Manchester. So you yeah. were talking about your experience in AGS Bowl in Southampton, yeah. Yeah, so uh, but the, the journalist did not stay. The written press did not stay in those oh, okay. um, in those biosecure hotels. The, the broadcast journalists, so TV did and radio did, mm. but uh, the written press would come and go from the stadium to a nearby hotel every day. But they obviously wouldn't have any contact with anyone who was staying within the venue. Mm. So basically, you're segregated into different parts, different zones, depending on whether you need to come and go and what sort of access to the facilities you have to have. Right. So. We didn't quite get the same experience in that sense um, mm. as the players would have done in, in having those meals exactly separated. But social distancing has become such a norm over here. Yeah. Um, the, the use of face masks is, is now a societal norm and it's actually it's law over here uh, in enclosed spaces anyway. So um, the, it's all become kind of second nature, I guess, after a while. It was certainly weird to start with just mm. the, the whole process of, of covering a game with no fans and you know, it's very hard to write about. The fans make make cricket what yes. it is to write about. Um, atmosphere is a huge part of cricket writing. Uh, whilst you can write analytically and tactically, you could do that from the TV. Um, so there's not a great deal of of reason for journalists to be at a biosecure venue because mm -hmm. there's not a lot of extra insight that they can offer that they couldn't do from the television. Um, which is another reason why we can't wait for fans to get let back in because it becomes quite repetitive what you're writing about in, in these sorts of 
of situations apart from those who obviously write analytically mm. and those who write statistically for which there's obviously always lots to to write about um so that that was that was particularly strange it was just it felt hollow you know it felt it felt like the soul wasn't there the action was fantastic there yes. were so many good games of cricket um that tv audiences could be entertained by but it just it wasn't right particularly the white ball stuff that the the tests sort of felt like they it could just about get by without crowds because we've seen, you know, when, when there's been games played in the UAE, for mm. instance, when Pakistan have been playing there, there's very, very rarely many fans in mm. those, in those uh, venues. So we've seen that sort of thing. But white ball cricket, we're used to quite raucous atmospheres and you just can't generate that on television by tube, uh, tubed crowd noise. It just doesn't, it doesn't work. So that was certainly something that just felt jarring. It felt a bit wrong. Um, and, and hopefully next summer um we can get back to to what we what we've been right. used to seeing for so many years although who knows with with the spike that we're having again over here we, we don't know what's going to happen come uh, come april and may next year how many more ripping yarns would you write if imagine if you if the 2019 ashes was happening in 2020 or the 2019 world cup was happening in 2020 right it's the atmosphere crowd makes that match special more than anything else it's, and not just the not just the match as well. It's it's the build up to it, and it's the, mm. uh, it's the, after it. I, I was at the uh, the India Pakistan game in uh, at Old Trafford during the World Cup in June last year, and it was just that the build up to it was just as exciting as as being in there. Um, you know, the, the the roads outside being absolutely rammed with colour and uh, noise and music and, and people being willing to express themselves, and and that makes for a sporting occasion. You know, that's that tribal aspect that really generates excitement around it and um, no one can do that at the moment and basically for, for reasons that we understand the fun is being sucked out of just about everything um, and sport is so much about fun and if you don't have the fun element of it then it's not the proper experience that people should be should be growing up learning to love um, i so I feel so sad for my uh, indian cricket fans including myself because ipl is not happening in india right it's yeah and it's and and that if you can I mean obviously you can pipe it over the same with the CPL in in, in the Caribbean you know they mm. they tried their best and you you put some noise into it but you just know that it's not it's not the same and yes. you know that this, the the communities where the games are being played obviously not in India in this case but it would have been then mm. they're missing out so much on on the experience and young people are missing out on the opportunity to to fall in love with a sport and to, yes. to get absolutely mesmerized by those big match day experiences. And let's hope it's only one year because, you know, every, every year that goes by with the diluted uh, sporting atmospheres around the world is yes. another year where young people are going to lose interest with our games. And that can only have a negative effect, not just on the sport, but on society in, in general. Precisely. Um, regardless of all this, right? you must have been impressed by the West Indies cricket board and the West Indies cricket players, right? So obviously, three, four players didn't come, like Hetmeyer didn't come, uh, you know. But, you know, big, big heart, right? Big heart from the Caribbean players to come down, stay here for a couple of weeks and then play four weeks. I think you could, you could witness the toll on their, uh, you know, mental, uh, you know, on the mental side in the third and the second and the third test matches, right? Their bowlers were not really, you know, putting the 100%. Maybe that, you know, uh, isolation was taking a toll on, toll on them, if, if I'm not wrong. 
I, I think you're right. And actually, the ECB have, have identified the fact that uh, asking players to be in a biosecure bubble for that long is detrimental to their mental well-being. Mm. Um, phys physically, I think that the, particularly the fast bowlers, some, some like Shannon Gabriel would have been suffering because he was asked to, to bowl very quickly for yes. three back-to-back -back test matches. And that's, that's just a, a physical strain, which um, you would expect any fast bowler to, to struggle mm. with a little bit. Um, that probably came with who they had in their squad and the fact that he bowled so well in the first test match. It's kind of a tricky position for them to be in. But the mental side of it, certainly six weeks in isolation in a country far, far away from home at the peak of a pandemic um, behind closed doors and with, albeit people that you get on with and, and know pretty well, but there's still only 25 or 30 of them. And there's not a lot of opportunity to to speak to people if you've got an issue, um, who would you speak to? Your family aren't there and having a Zoom conversation is, is obviously not uh, as cathartic as uh, having an actual in-person embrace. So there's a lot of things to think about for the ECB and they would probably say now that they wouldn't want to put players through more than three weeks in a, in a bubble um, from what they've seen over the course of, of the summer here, um, be that be that England's players or those from touring countries, because it just seems a little bit unfair on on these guys who've come so far and to do such a such a good thing for for English cricket at a time as well when the West Indies players have been told that they were taking a fifty percent pay cut too. So yes, um, and obviously CWI get nothing out of being in England; they don't get the share of any receipt there. Um, so it was it was incredibly community spirited for them to come across and to to put themselves through. Um, six difficult weeks obviously in the grand scheme of things they were in a very comfortable hotel and well fed and well watered etc but um, we have to we have to accept that the context of it is still such that they would have found those times very difficult um, and to put on the performances that they did in that in those situations especially in the that first, test. first test match you know that's like yeah. even though England lost right I think you kind you can kind of say that the cricket won, right? It, you know, it was the message was beautiful with the Black Lives Matter thing, and then the fact that yeah. West Indies won, and it that 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 must be really satisfying. You know, after all the effort, that match must have been really uh, satisfying, if I'm not wrong. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think um, it it would only take a a very very stringent England fan to say that that wasn't the result that cricket needed at the start of the summer. Yes. Um, and it set, the, it set the series up nicely. It gave reward for West Indies for coming over. It showed that, that cricket West Indies um, are creating a more sustainable future for their test team. They've, they've obviously got talented players who could fill in when you're missing Bravo and Paul and Hetmeyer, but still come over and win your first test, mm. um, having not played in a while in a strange environment in England in English bowling conditions, it was, uh, it was fantastic performance. Um, but it just, it came too much, came too fast for, for a squad that had been away from home for that period of time, I think. And um, ultimately they, they started falling apart a little bit towards yes. the end of that series. Um, though still, you know, in parts, very impressive. It just, it, it slowly deteriorated. If every day of that tour mm. went on, it, you could see them visibly tiring more and more, which is, there's no shame in that. Yeah, um, but we'll we'll see we'll see what happens next. I guess um, right. See what happens when England have to go abroad and whether they have to go into a, a biosecure bubble, as likely will happen uh, in the UAE. I, I think it will be. Although India wants it obviously to be in in India in February and March. Right. But if it, if it is in the UAE, then they, if England are having to do five tests in biosecure conditions, that's going to be a hell of a hell of a. No. Yes, uh, and.
Pakistan visiting England was a strange one, right? Because like eight, nine players of their uh, team were like tested positive and and for them to even come down and play, right? If the, uh, and they almost got the first test match in their hand and they were robbed by Chris Fawkes. <laughs> yeah, they... Um... So the PCB, the PCB did very well to get them over. Obviously, Pakistan is uh, was in a lot worse a position in terms of mm. COVID nineteen than the West yeah. Indies. Um, so uh, they were trying to manage it themselves to get over, and they did very well logistically to to get a squad over for both red and white ball tours. Um, and they had players that that performed fantastically at, at certain times. Um, so Sean Masood, one hundred and fifty in that first first uh, innings was was a terrific knock. Um, and I thought Mohamed Rizwan was was excellent throughout the, the series. Find the find of the Pakistani batting order in this Test series, Mohamed Rizwan. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And not just with the bat keeping. If you compare his keeping, um, which was pretty good, there's a lot of dip and swerve after the ball passes the stumps in England, um, and he managed to to do that particularly well. Um, and given the performance of his West Indian counterpart earlier in uh, in the season. You could really give him high praise, so I thought that he thought he was excellent. Um, and again, they were, that bowling attack is fantastic to watch. It's it's a really really enjoyable team to to have over here, and um, I think it's just about time that England go and tour Pakistan. And after they came here during this season to help save a lot of money, I think it's around about twenty million pounds or thirty million pounds per test that they would have saved coming over here. Right. Um, then I think it's just about time that um, that England went back. They haven't been there since 2005, um, and there's probably very little reason why they shouldn't be going when the, the FTP schedule says they should be going, which I think is early 2020. 21? 21. Okay. Yeah. It, might be late, it might be late 20. It's either late 21 or early 22. Mm-hmm. Two thousand five England team toured Pakistan and lost, right? It was after that famous Ashes Test uh, series, yes, right? They went right. to Pakistan. Yes. yes. Michael Vaughan. Okay. Yes, it's that one, and it hasn't been since. Obviously, they've been to the UAE to play them many times, but right. um, but they haven't been back to Pakistan. Um, I, I went to Pakistan for the PSL, um, mm. so I went to to Multan and Lahore in February, um, which seems just mad thinking mm. about. I managed to get out to Pakistan now, all, given all that's happened since. Um, and my experience there is that there is no reason why uh, an international team can't come and, and tour, as many others have started to do with Bangladesh, Sri Lanka. Yes. South Africa are due to go there too, um, Zimbabwe. So there's, there's plenty of precedent now, and um, it's time that the ECB finally put some uh, actions in place to, to go and, and repay the PCB for, for what they've done. Hmm. And as you said rightly, right? I mean, England and Australia white ball series must have been the kind of series where you badly miss the fans. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the funny thing is with the, the England-Australia series, is there seems to be so many of them at the moment. I think they've been in over here five of the last eight years for, for one yes. series or another. And that's, I mean, it gives a bit of overkill. Um, hmm. Whereas, you know, at least with an Ashes series in Australia, they still seem to be once every four years. That seem, that's the big one, I think, for, from an English perspective, mm. um, is that, that that one is so well spread out that it becomes something special every time. Whereas we're quite used to seeing the Australians over here. Um, and unless the cricket is uh, absolutely mesmerizing, then 
they can become a little bit forgettable. Yeah. Um, so yes, the, it, it would be better to have the to the fans here, but I think that the cricket fans would would much rather have variety and to to see different teams come and play over here, um, where possible. Uh, you know, I think that there are many teams in the world that could could give England just as good a game, um, and would give an opportunity for for the English fans and of course expats over here and we have we have home to so many fans from yes. Bangladesh, Sri Lanka, India, Pakistan, New Zealand, South Africa. Um a little bit more variety would be would be fantastic. So the series was was good in in fits and spurts and there were some nice storylines. There was um uh you know some good cricket played uh, and obviously it is a big headline thing that England lost uh, a 50 over yeah. series because that very rarely happens. Um, but I would say that um, the other, the, the Red Bull element of the summer at the start was much more engaging um, for, for the cricket community over here than the white ball element at the back end. Right. You, you're, Australia touring uh, England often is like, we complain the same thing with Sri Lanka, right? Sri Lanka and India used to play a lot. We were like, uh, we were joking, like if India wants a picnic, they go to Sri Lanka to play. That's, that was a joke around <laughs> right here. <laughs> it's, it's just the same. It, it just gets too much. It's the same because you, you're just seeing the same players play the same match over and over again. And that, that's not what you want to, as a consumer, you don't want to be watching the same thing all the time. You want to be able to see different things because mm. otherwise you're never going to get to learn more about the game. So um, whilst these games are always fun against uh, Australia, they would be more fun if they were less frequent. Right, right. Uh, and number one complaint that uh, that Indians have with uh, matches in England is, see, obviously, I love the fact that England is the best place to have a World Cup because there is a sizable amount of uh, fandom for every team over there because it is this melting pot, right? Every team has their reasonable size of fan, fan base. You probably won't that, get that in Australia if the World Cup is happening in Australia. Indians will be everywhere, but you won't get a bunch of South African fans filling up a stadium in Australia or in you know Sri Lanka or India, right? England is like this melting pot, right? That is the one thing I love about uh, England and that was a wonderful thing about 2019 England World Cup where many crowds turned up for most matches. The thing I don't like about is what you do with rain and bad light. Bad light is <laughs> bad light is more of an ICC issue. I agree, but with the rain, right? I mean, you are you're one of the richest countries in the world. Like, have a freaking cover that can cover the whole ground and start immediately, right? So what what's stopping you there? Especially especially we were very annoyed in the 2019 World Cup. So yeah, yeah, yeah. The, I mean, the, the, Engl- I the England weather beat the India in semi final. Come on. <laughs> it was. It wasn't. It wasn't nice. It wasn't, that's true. That's true. I think India's top order probably didn't do themselves a huge yeah. amount of in that game. Um, of the, the 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 idea of um, covers across it comes, doesn't it, from when you look at Sri Lanka and and this particularly and how they re- react to to things over there. You know, probably the the least well off of these countries that do it. Um, maybe Bangladesh aside, um, and they can cover the pitches in. A matter of seconds with an yes. army uh, yes. of ground staff um, and massive tires holding down tarpaulins and stuff like that. Um, there's various reasons over here why uh, counties don't believe it necessary. One is that they've invested substantially in uh, in irrigation and drainage um, so that the runoffs in the outfield should cater in normal wet conditions. So not when it's particularly heavy rain, but in normal conditions. Once it's drained off the square, it should drain them through into the outfield. And it does for a large amount of the time when it 
is excessively wet, as, as was the case a couple of times during the Pakistan series. That hmm. tests the irrigation process a little bit. Another is the nature of the grass in the UK. And if you put it under complete cover at that low level for a long period of time, it might create a certain amount of rot, which would cause some damage to the outfield. Mm. Um, so it's not, it's not necessarily going to, in the medium to long term, be beneficial, though it could result in getting a game on quicker. Right. Uh, it might then create more issues for ground staff and they'd have to reinvest in, in more turf condition, uh, more turf replacement based down the line. Um, there's arguments for and against, but if you speak to ground staff over here, they will say that it would be uh, counterproductive and overly expensive to, to do what they do in Sri Lanka or in India or, or where else. Um, you'd have to think about the manpower uh, and obviously the wage, the wage requirements for, for putting in an army of, um, of ground staff to be able to bring those covers on in the time that would be necessary for them to be effective. Um, wages over here are obviously very different to, to wages elsewhere um, yes. and whether or not those, those could be afforded. Uh, the investment in the covers is another thing. Those covers would only be typically used um, for international games. So if you brought those covers, you'd have to, which would not be inexpensive, it, they certainly wouldn't just be um, plastic sheeting. It would be mo much more um, sturdy stuff and it would cost quite a lot of money. Who would be responsible for that? Would it be the counties that would be responsible? Would the ECB purchase it? Um, who would maintain it? Uh, and if the, if the counties had to maintain it, even though they weren't using it because they couldn't afford the number of ground staff that would be needed to bring them on and off, um, then what would be the point? Would there actually be a, a good financial return for them? Um, or it, would it just be a, a white elephant that's costing them money um, when realistically the amount of, amount of play that is lost to rain over here mm -hmm. is whilst it seems like we have a huge amount of it, it's, it's really not actually that bad. Um, so there have been very, very few washout tests in the last 20 years. Obviously, there was one this year, but there's very, very few. Um, so there are all those reasons which, why those sorts of covers aren't used. But mm. from a spectator's perspective, those looking in from outside, it, yes, of course, it's incredibly frustrating. Yes. Um, and, it, and it's not, it's not um, the natural course of things to start thinking about grass rot or the, the, the benefit um, cost analysis of uh, cover investment for counties. But that doesn't come into the conversation when you right. want to watch cricket and it's raining and they haven't put more covers down. Then that's just very frustrating, isn't it? Yes. Um, so I can understand both, both perspectives, but there is at least genuine reason why England doesn't do what other countries do. It's not just that they're trying to be difficult or trying to be mm. unique or whatever though i know that we we can be difficult as a country but in this particular instance that's that's not not the case there is um there is good reason right uh, you talk about frustration right i'll tell you an example of uh, frustration right so uh, i think uh, the semi-final was sp split into two parts right india was new zealand semi-final in the manchester and the on the second day the word manchester weather was the most googled word on google <laughs> because there are a 1 billion search requests coming out from <laughs> <laughs> it was it was a funny old place i tell you what i was frantically googling hotels in manchester on the first evening i hadn't got a hotel to to stay in for a reserve day i ended up in the most miserable airport hotel on the outskirts of it um but yeah it was it was a it was a strange couple of days that one but 
number one number one thing number one thing i opened my twitter number one thing trending on twitter manchester weather i opened google news number one thing uh, trending on the google news manchester weather on the facebook manchester weather so it was it was very funny <laughs> it was being... it will never happen again i don't think yes that search term will ever be at the top of google but that's the, the one and only time right that's uh, that, that that's the point of uh, calling it in the history <laughs> yeah right um best moments of this cricket summer right so uh, uh i had a few uh, list i thought uh, wokes's innings uh, anderson's 600 broads 500 uh, olipo crawley's innings these were my five what what do you think really uh, what 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 do you think really are the best moments of this summer which was worthwhile um, Yeah, uh, from an international perspective, I mean, there were, there were lots of there were lots of them um, mm. to, to see to see players um, performing at that at the level that they did was was really really quite impressive. Um, Josh Butler's century was uh, was a breakthrough moment for him. Yes. Uh, he went he went into this summer um, actively saying that he recognised that he was playing for his place uh, and came up with some really important innings. Um, not not just the partnership with uh with wokes for that victory in manchester but um but another century as well so uh that was that was really good for me um ireland's victory in the third odi in southampton when they chased mm. down 300 odd for lost two wickets um and paul sterling and uh andrew balburney getting centuries that yes. was um that was quite special actually uh, and a really a big breakthrough moment it's also the start of the the world cricket league um whether or not that manages to properly continue I, in this cycle i don't know but it, it also sh- it showed that that gives ireland and other smaller nations a, a reason to be what is with, what is this weird thing about teams chasing down with england right? i mean scotland once chased down england some 300 odd <laughs> and then ireland yeah. well, teams have to raise their game don't they yeah. when they, when they're playing when they're playing against that white england white ball team they have to up their game otherwise they've got absolutely no chance and yeah. so i guess that It's, it is always possible but um it creates a great spectacle yes um, even if fans aren't allowed in they, yeah yeah you're right that teams do do have to up their game so um but that that was that was particularly special for for the irish to to get that mm. victory and uh, get some points on the board in the world cricket league and uh, um yeah it was it was a good day um i really enjoyed watching shannon gabriel bowl in the mm. first uh first test of the summer um and i very much enjoyed watching shahina freedy bowl later on um his his delivery to that bowl besto during the t20s um was was something else oh the, yeah um, the in swinging yorker which besto just didn't even see that was um that was pretty phenomenal i loved watching adil rashid bowl as well over the course over the mm. course of the back end of the summer he looks to be in the form of his life um over his shoulder injury and bowling all his variations at anywhere between 60 uh, between 45 and 60 miles an hour i'm sorry i can't translate that into kph <laughs> i don't know that off the top of my head um but he's um he, he was great and and really interesting to to see how he's developed again and he seems just be getting better the older that he's getting i i just cannot believe how he's not hired into ipl right i mean zampa is an ipl foreign leg spinners right tahir is an ipl i mean rashid was kind of like no brainer is he like putting his name in the ipl list or not i, 
I don't, I don't know, and I don't know whether his connections with Pakistan have anything to do with it at all. Oh, um, okay. But, but then again, but Mo, Mo is obviously playing for RCB, so yeah. um, there's, there's no direct reason. It might yeah. be that he prefer to stay over here. Mm. Um, I'm speculating. I don't, I don't know for sure. Mm. But yes, he, he was. I mean, he's certainly, he's certainly a better um, T20 bowler yep. than, than Adam Zampa. That, yeah, that's for sure. Um, but you know, these these things can have many reasons why mm. why he's not there. Um, it might have been that at the time of this particular auction, he was struggling with his shoulder and, and wasn't mm. uh, wasn't down. I, I can't remember back then as to, to what was going on, but um, he certainly does seem to be getting better and better. Um, and it won't be uh, long before we start hearing calls that he should be in the test squad for the India series as well. Um, right. Given the that there's well, particularly if it's played in India. Um, given the, uh, the need for a spinner that can actually do yeah. something with the ball. Um, so we'll, we'll see. But yeah, great to watch. Um, I hope that he never retires. Uh, and one more thing I've, I loved about, uh, like, this Anderson's 600th wicket was such a suspense, right? Because the last day, will the game happen? Will the game not happen? If Anderson does not get 600th wicket now, I don't know when he'll play the next test match again. Uh-huh. Probably next Ashes. Who knows? All these things. I mean, I, I I was watching just for Anderson. I was watching TV on that day. Yeah, it's um, it's a hell of an achievement, isn't it, for a fast yeah. bowler to take the number of wickets that he's taken over the course of a Test career. That's his Test career is now 17 years old. Like it's it's a uh, it's a long, long time that he's been involved mm. in that in that England side, and he's um and he's still producing the goods. And what was particularly fitting about this summer was that once again people were questioning him he had a very bad test against Pakistan early in the series people were asking whether he should be still in the team and then he comes back and shows exactly why he should be there um and he's got a central contract again for another year so yeah we'll ex- expect to see him in the in whatever whichever test matches actually take place over the next 12 months be that here in, in India in the UAE they might try to go to South uh, to Sri Lanka for a couple of tests, which mm. were due to be played in March, but got abandoned. And then next summer, whether or not the English season happens as planned or, or not, I don't know. But um, expect to see him involved in whatever Red Bull cricket England play in the next 12 months. Right. And Broad's 500, right? So like uh, when that happened, uh, I remember Yuvraj Singh t- tweeting about him, right? Like, look look, uh, look at this champion bowler. I congratulate him. That, that, that tweet reminded me how old I am, right? Because I was a little kid when the six sixes happened with Yuvraj Singh and Stuart Broad. Oh, yeah. I, was, I was studying for exam and uh, people were clapping. And then I went to the TV and I saw, okay, already two sixes were done. So I saw the rest of the four. And from there to uh, come back and allow his 500th wicket, right? What what a journey, what a pair. And one of the, half of the reason why I watched England cricket on TV, because obviously there was no cricket in the pandemic, half was because Anderson and Broad were bowling in England, right? They are a treat to watch, especially in England. Yeah, he's um, he's remarkable. He's, he's, um, he, he's become... A, a different bowler again. He, he goes through mm. evolutions, Stuart Broad, and and England use him, have used him in different ways at different times. You know, when he when he came into the side, he was a burgeoning all rounder, and he hit that 169 yeah. against um, Pakistan in 2010 at Lords, and that, and then he sort of, well, we know what happened after he got hit by Van Aaron, um, mm-hmm. lost his bowling and 
at his batting and and then he became an enforcer with the ball mm-hmm. um he's always been able to get wickets in clusters and produce match defining spells and he's continued to do that this summer as well and and now he's rediscovering his batting to go with his bowling and he just looks he looks so carefree at the moment it looks like everything is so enjoyable for him and i think that that must be quite important um but yeah he keeps coming and coming and coming and he was he was at pains over the summer to remind people not to bunch him in with Jimmy Anderson in terms of the age bracket because there's almost three years between them. Yes. So Broad's 34 and um, and thinks that he's probably got another, at least as long as Anderson plays for England left in him. So that could be another four-year cycle. So it could be 2024 before we really see Stuart Broad retiring. And England yeah. will want him to, to hold on because he too yeah. seems to be getting better as he gets older, just like Anderson has got. Just like wine. Yes, just like wine. The fine wines. Um, eventually, they'll be gone, though, and yeah. have have started to look into what happens next. And obviously, Jofra Archer will be the focal point of that. But mm. um, there is there's certainly a need to to find more than than one or two uh, seamers, and they they actually are they are there in abundance in the county in the mm. county system. So I think that England are, are relatively well set in that respect. But um. Cricket fans over here won't want to see Broad or Anderson retiring anytime soon. Right. What What is your comment on the performance abroad? Right. So numbers obviously change. Right. When Anderson and uh, Broad go abroad, Broad is you can say Broad is slightly better because he can you know ball cutters that can grip on the surface and or foreign conditions in a bit. But what 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 do you comment and tell fans uh, outside of England who think that Broad and uh, Anderson are just tailor made for England and you know it not much effective outside England? Um, well, they have taken wickets outside of England. And the, the, everyone, any swing bowler, any seam bowler is going to enjoy bowling in English conditions, just as they should enjoy bowling to an extent down in New Zealand, just as pay, bowlers with genuine pace would enjoy bowling in Australia and in South Africa. Um, people have different conditions. You know, the, There are different conditions in the world of cricket. That's what makes cricket such a good game. And people who grow up in one area are always going to be naturally a bit better at at what they're used to. Um, And of course, you can understand why people would say, oh, they're made for English conditions. But they are made for English conditions. They were born in English conditions. They've grown up in English conditions. Um, They developed in English conditions. Uh, and when they go abroad, they have to change their game and adapt to the environments they find themselves in. And sometimes it works well because um, they both had very good tours at times all over the world. Um, and at times it doesn't work so well. Yeah. And that's when they get, and that's unfortunately when they get picked up as being this one dimensional seamer who can only take wickets in, in one area uh, of the planet. So yeah, sure. It, the, yes, there are reasons why people could say it, but look, they, they've got, more than 1100 test wickets between them and you don't do that if you can only bowl on green seamers in england it just that just wouldn't happen it just wouldn't work like that and people don't point the same fact with uh, for example australian bowlers right for example stark is that champion bowler in australia and he kind of struggles in england right even mitchell johnson also right that champion in australia mitchell, mitchell johnson mitchell johnson certainly stark um start with a white ball over here has, has certainly caused problems he certainly caused problems yeah, yeah. in the world cup and red and, yeah red i'm talking about red yeah yeah so yeah everyone has their strengths and weaknesses in yeah. different parts of the world and i i think instead of trying to necessarily pick apart opposition mm. bowlers as we're in, inclined to do as fans of certain countries we should probably celebrate the, the diversity of skill that was 
on show all across the planet. Um, you know, there are there are. Uh, it, it should be. A, I mean, India should be absolutely congratulated for the fact they've put together somehow a, a supreme scene bowling attack um, yes. from a country that that is not typically known for it. And that's and obviously when you look at people like Bhuvneshwar Kumar, just Bumrah. Mohammed Shami and the fact that they can come over here and be just as effective as, yes. as doing it back in back in India is is mighty impressive. Um, but this is that's a freak bowling attack for India. That's not something that you guys have got used to over the course of years. It's, and it might not come again. It it might be that this is the peak Indian scene era, and that it won't happen in the future. So. Um, only if you're then going to be able to go and say when the next load of, of Indian seamers don't quite have the same effect over overseas that, oh, they're only made for Indian conditions. But you, Indian fans wouldn't say that. So it's just a rivalry thing, I think. It's tribalism um, mm. and it's fine to do it. But I think you look at the overall stats and right. you've got to celebrate bowlers who have performed majestically over very long periods of time because to do that at elite level sports is quite remarkable endurance feat both physically and, and mentally as well. Right. And and uh, one more thing that is really favorite for me about England team is you use the word diversity, right? So diversity, right? You have an Irish captain, a Kiwi all-rounder who won you a World Cup, a South African opener who gave you great starts, a Muslim leg spinner. So, uh, uh, and why do you think in such a society there were all, there were still people who were complaining about that black lives matter uh, message uh, when that west indies uh, series happened right so uh, and also there is some uh, you know some issue going on with uh, racial uh, treatment in some counties i believe if if, uh, if i'm not wrong i have read the news very vaguely so good and bad right so it is very diverse but there are still uh, there are still work to be done isn't it I think there's always work to be done with regards to inequality within society and cricket is, is part of that inequality. Um, and over here, it's, uh, it's plenty to do with class uh, as much as it is to do with race, um, though the two can become intrinsically intertwined. Mm. Over here, we, we certainly do have an issue with, with diversity at board level uh, and within coaching. Um, that's something that's being worked on. The ECB are very aware of it, uh, mm. very actively engaging in, in the situation at the moment. Um, the, the sort of the racial uh, abuse matters that, that you've touched on are related to, to incidents um, in the last sort of 10 years. So uh, Azim Rafiq, who was at Yorkshire, has, has spoken out recently yes. about his treatment. And there have been several others like Michael Carberry um, who, who have spoken about their experiences with racism in the game and it's something that is always has always been there and needs it needs education uh, it needs reform it needs cultural change um but it is hard to it's hard to get through to people that yeah. black lives matter is not necessarily a political slogan um though it has i think the issue that people had is that well, some people had is that it was adopted in part by some political movements. But the, the, the three words in a sentence just seem so strikingly obvious that it's ludicrous that anyone could say that it's wrong to suggest that. Um, but people, people like to, to pick holes in, in these sorts of things. And uh, I thought it was quite strong of the ECB uh, and of Sky, particularly to, to push that message throughout the course of the summer. Uh, relentlessly uh, and unafraid of any criticism that would come come their way. 
it was it's important that people discuss equality um, and it has led to more and more engagement uh, not just from the ECB but you know all the way down to us we recognize as a, as a company as a publication that we are we are an all-male company hmm. we're all we are all white um, many of us are middle class um, and it has actively driven us to look at what we can do to do better in in that regard and to how we how our processes uh, are put in place to make sure that we we don't just create a cycle of normality which doesn't reflect the the, the community in which we we operate in the community we're trying to engage so um that's just one way in which the message has got through on a very personal level and uh, it's getting through i think wider across the game and and right. that is an important part of this summer and uh, certainly something that won't be forgotten in the heart uh, most one of the most beautiful monologues right michael holding nasser hussain speaking on that sky yeah. thing that that was was really powerful that and with uh, ebony is that her name ebony, ebony yeah ebony yeah. rain for brent yeah. yeah yeah uh and a last topic to discuss right how do you see england's red ball cricket team's future right is it is it going in the right direction i mean i felt some of the positives were like uh, zach crawley right zach crawley zach crawley reminded me of kevin peterson when i was a little boy watching that 2005 ashes kevin peterson just uh, smashing <laughs> smashing the aussies and and he kind of reminded me the kind of busyness he has on the crease right and he can play himself he can play within himself when the time is needed but generally he's a very busy player on the on the front foot attacking and and one more uh, positive was like ollie pope uh, very uh, very resilient guy in the down down the order played a very important innings and obviously you said butler right butler was mm-hmm. this close to losing his place in the team and that innings if not for that innings right i don't think we would have seen uh, butler in red ball for uh, quite a while yeah absolutely possible i think the english red bull um, team is in a bit of a funny place uh, it's mm. winning quite a lot of matches and it's it started and it's, but it's lost a few too so mm. um i think joe root is starting to establish himself as a captain he's starting to understand the role a bit more um and with it he's developing a team in the image that he wants to take forwards with him so it's moving away from alistair cook's team and turning into joe root's team now um and that's important and it is it is good that england have got some young players i think Uh, Ollie Pope is destined to score quite a lot of runs at test level. I'm not I'm not quite as convinced by Zach Crawley though. I know that he produced that incredible double hundred. Um I think there's still some more work for him to do, but it certainly looked promising that that he could fit in and, and play that sort of innings against that sort of attack um uh, against Pakistan. Uh, and England are wanting a a good number 3 for for Australia um That, that works in Australian conditions, and obviously Crawley is six foot four, six foot five, uh, can get on top of the of the bouncing ball, which would be important in places like Perth. Um, but we'll we'll see how he develops over the course of the next year. I'm I'm more set on Pope hmm. being a being in England's number six for for some time to come, and I think that Root Stokes Pope. middle order with now butler seems to sort of secured his spot though you could argue for butler to be at 6 because that's where he's been scoring his runs but there, mm. there is there is plenty to to be positive about um and there have been contributions at the top of the the order from sibley and burns on a regular basis too um spin bowling is a bit of a of a uncertain yes. one for england at the moment so um obviously don best was in in the 
in the position during the course of the summer. Um, and bowled with discipline, but didn't look particularly dangerous at any yes. point. I don't think that you would have Don Bess as your strike bowler on a tour of the subcontinent, for instance. Um, Jack Leach gives obviously a very different angle uh, and a different option against a, a team that might be packed full of right-handers, but they didn't use him against a, against a, a West Indies team that was plenty full of right-handers, um, or the Pakistanis. So uh, then there's a case of who, who else would, would come in. And there are obviously other options, uh, Moeen or Rashid, or if Rashid wants to play Red Bull again. Um, and then further down there in the county system, there are some young spinners, um, Matt Parkinson, for example. Yes. Um, of Lancashire. Who's, Lancashire. Who, Love that guy. Yeah. yeah. He, he's, he's, uh, and there, there's lots, and there's lots more like him around the, around the counties. Um, so we'd like to see Mason Crane as well as had, mm, a, a, very, Hampshire, had a very yeah? good summer. Yeah. Down at Hampshire. He had a very good summer. Um, he's been, he struggled with, um, with stress fractures in his back. Uh, he he toured Australia, right? He went to Ashes, yeah, right? In, yeah, yeah in, in, 2000 and, uh, in 2017, he made, his, um, he made his test debut in Sydney in, that, in the last test of that awful tour. Um, mm-hmm. But So there are options, um, yeah. but spin, that spin bowling is, is where it is going to it'd be interesting to see how it develops. I think there's enough seamers yeah. In in the uh, in the pack there beyond Broad and Anderson, that if Broad and Anderson did suddenly go over a hill, um, then you've still got Wokes, Woods, Archer, Ollie Robinson is a terrific young bowler. Sam Curran. So there's lots. Sam Curran, yeah. There's there's a lot of them around the place that can, can give lots of different options for for the selectors. So I think the main the main concern for them will be spin bowling. Yes. Um, Joe Root's batting order, where will he uh, bat? Joe Root, um, he prefers to bat four. Hmm. Uh, it depends what they want to do with Zach Crawley. It depends where they want to play um, Butler in the order as well. Uh, and it depends on how many bowlers they want to have. So it, there's lots of things that come into this side. And I don't think we're ever going to see a huge consistency of selection in terms of that. And I think that Root might just have to get used to bouncing around a bit, which is obviously yeah. not ideal, but he is, he is the technically the best, but him or Ben Stokes are technically the best batsman in that side. So they are, they are capable of adapting. Um, so, yeah, I think, I don't think it's a particularly brilliant England team, but it's mm. certainly not, a, it's not a bad England Red Bull team either. They'll continue to win a fair number of games. They'll continue to lose a fair number of games. Um, and I don't think they'll draw many. I, 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 that is the reason why me as an Indian fan was so disappointed when India toured England and lost it, right? It was 3-1 as a result, but it's not really 3-1, right? It's like 3-1 out of which 2-1 was Sam Curran and... Sam Curran made it 2-0 and one match India lost it, one match India won it. So it, we hate Sam Curran, by the way. <laughs> just, just kidding, just kidding. The, the CSK fans love, love him, but yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it, it's just, it's an entertaining team to watch. You, there's yes. always going to be some, something funny that happens. That, that they're either going to be brilliant or they're going to be pretty poor. And... Or they will lose match that they had no business of winning. Or they will lo- win the match that would have that they should have won very easily. They would make it so tough for themselves. Because... Yeah, but it makes makes a great TV, doesn't it? That's uh, <laughs> that's a good thing about it. Yeah, they're, they're a good they're a good team to watch, and um, uh, I think that's that's an important part of any of any sports team is that they're entertaining to watch. Um, 
yes, you want them to be winning every game, but realistically, uh, you know, there are very few teams in in the history of the sport that have. What 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 is the beauty of following a team when there are no frustrations with it? Exactly, exactly. Sam, what a fun podcast this has been. We can go on and talk for hours about England yeah. cricket. Hopefully, we can catch up in the future when actually cricket again comes back to England. Thank you very much for for, for time. Uh, thank you very much for your time, Sam. Uh, uh, you have any uh, uh, parting message for the listeners that are listening to this about England cricket and what we can look forward to? There is hundred vitality has concluded his its blast very recently, yeah. right? So, what 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 can we look forward to in terms of uh, cricket from the UK? Uh, well, obviously, we now have to, for the English for the English season. We have to wait till April now. Mm. Um, hopefully, we'll see England's men in South Africa in November and December, uh, mm. and uh, playing India somewhere in the world in February and March. Mm. Um, and the women are due to go to New Zealand in February as well. So there's hopefully be some international cricket involving England to watch, and then. Next year will be it'll be an interesting one. Um, well, hopefully, we'll we'll see the start of the hundred. Obviously, it was meant to start this year, but mm. it's been pushed back to next year. And that'll be interesting to see how that fits in with the county season. But um, I think trying to discuss what's going to happen next summer at the moment feels a little bit pointless. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, it may be pointless, but there is also Ashes next year. You have to tour. Yeah, there is uh, exactly, and you know that's that's a big old block now. It's going to be a T Twenty World Cup in October, going mm. into a, a five Test Ashes series. That's going to be a hell of a summer for, uh, well, hell of a winter. Sorry for some of the people who are touring in both both of those tours. So, uh, yeah, plenty to look forward to. I had tickets for T Twenty World Cup uh, for Australia this year. India versus England match in Melbourne, which was scheduled, and uh, I have chosen not. to uh, uh, ask for the refund i'm still hopeful and hopefully all the cricket fans are hopeful and on, the, on that note we can uh, very well end this podcast thank you very much for listening uh, folks if you have been listening for this long tune into the space for more interesting guests that's it from the look up podcast bye everyone